Saga Ohio, a podcast by fans and players of Saga, the skirmish miniatures game from Studio Tomahawk. After an almost two-month layoff, I am happy to welcome Indiana Saga player DJ Andrews for the 27th episode of this podcast. Earlier this month, DJ was one of our co-champions at the Advance the Colors 2022 Saga Tournament. We're going to talk about his victory in his Anglo-Danish Army tonight. DJ, thanks for agreeing to my guests and on Saga Ohio. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. This is really an honor because I've been listening to your podcast since uh, the outbreak, let's just call it that. And uh, I'm newer to Saga. I've been playing maybe about a year and a half. So this this is uh, pretty awesome to be interviewed um, by you, someone that's well known in the Saga community. And uh, it was, uh, on, to be honest, this was actually the first gaming tournament I've ever won or co-won. Um, so that this was a lot of fun, and I appreciate you having me on and uh, hosting ATC the ATC soccer tournament. Well, no, no problem. I was so glad you guys could come up. Uh, it's it's always fun to see people from different groups, and uh, if you consider yourself a beginner, you certainly handled some of our our better players. Uh, so congratulations again on your on your victory, and I would say it's a victory, not just a co victory. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Uh, so maybe start off by telling us how you got involved in gaming, DJ, and uh, and then ended up playing Saga. Yeah, certainly. So I started tabletop wargaming with what every uh, American teenager does is Warhammer 40k. Um, oh, that was back during like third edition, fourth edition, something like that. And you know, I had a guardsman army, all that, and so I painted and played. Is mainly with my cousins a little bit at your at my game store, not much, no competitive stuff. Um, and then I got into uh, Warma Hordes a little bit later in life. I kind of stopped um, in high school, or not in high school, in college, and then a little bit after college, just kind of um, maybe grew out of it a little. And then um, I went on a deployment in 2019 and 2020 to the Middle East, and one of the things I kind of told myself after that is I want to get back into tabletop wargaming. Um, came back and I met some awesome gentlemen um, that were into some tabletop gaming, not necessarily war gaming, but tabletop gaming, kind of like uh, Rangers of Shadow Deep, Frostgrave, Dust, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and they kind of rekindled my uh, former love of tabletop gaming and painting and hobbying and um, having you know fun camaraderie. And so now I play a little bit of the new Kill Team. I'm still learning that. Uh, play Rangers of Shadow Deep. Um, I'm trying to get into Frostgrave. I play Saga. Um, let's see, is there anything else? Uh, that that kind of right now is the limit of my uh, miniature tabletop wargaming uh, repertoire. I want to get it. I want to play Bolt Action. Want to try Team Yankee or Flames of War. Um, but uh, with two kids, sometimes time can be very limiting. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, this, I've been in this, uh, hobbies for 13 years now. That's no, great. Longer than that. Let's see, 16 years at least. That's great. Uh, so I've read about Rangers of Shadowdeep. Is that, is it more of a miniature skirmish game or is it more of a role-playing game? I can't really quite tell. It is both. Is 100% it? is both. So, um, it, it has RPG uh, elements to it where you get to create your ranger you have a little war band 
um, and you do missions, which, but um, Joe McCullough, the author, he is uh, very terrain intensive and wants to create an immersive environment. And a lot of his expansions are actually uh, what you would consider like D&D one shots um, or D&D campaigns per se. And you take your rangers through that and you level them up and, you know, you have your uh, companions and stuff like that. And it, it's a lot of fun. It's a very simple game. Um, my buddies and I play that. We call it a beer and chips game. Because you can have a few beers, you can have a whiskey, you know, whatever, you know, pick your poison and just hang out and roll some dice. So you play with a group of uh, several of you and you all have your own little war party, so to speak? Yeah, if you have more people playing, your uh, little, your party, your companions shrink um, just to keep the game balanced. And Joe has that uh, mechanic developed in his rule books. Okay. I did, I did play Frostgrave Ghost Archipelago for a while, um, and then uh, I, just, I just wasn't really enthused about the combat system in it, the melee system, so I kind of moved on from it. But uh, is it similar to that, then? Yeah, it is similar to that. Um, when I first started playing, I thought the melee system was a little wonky, um, but it, it flows really quickly. The only, the only uh, thing that... I thought was underpowered was shooting because it, I, I just being a uh, practical person, I felt like you can't, you can't dodge a shot or an arrow. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's a game. And so you have to balance it. And so I understood that from what Joe was trying to do. Um, but yeah, I, I guess we, we like it for the, um, one of my buddies, he's a, he's a huge terrain geek and he loves building terrain and has a 3d printer and mountains of stuff. Oh, wow. So he makes it an immersive world and, um, helps write his own stories so it's a lot of fun that's cool yeah i'd like to see that that's that sounds like a really fun thing to do i like building a lot of terrain too and you know now getting to the point of uh where do i store it all <laughs> so uh all right well maybe also let's let's talk a little bit about your saga group there in indiana how many players you guys have uh where you guys meet what armies typically appear on your tabletop there yeah so right now we have three I would say hardcore regulars and then we rotate between probably like four or five others that you know will come in as they have time available um, so Scott and Anthony were the other two that were with me at the tournament and they're the other two uh, regular players um, we had another that um, one of my buddies he was going to try and come but he couldn't make it he, his life is really hectic right now and then another um, he's kind of getting back into wargaming after moving so it's he was aware, but he wasn't able to make it happen. Um, so usually, at a minimum, we always have four players. Sometimes we've gotten up to six um, at one time. So, um, And we're trying to grow the community. There's a few others that play like Hail Caesar or, or SPQR or some of the other small uh, skirmish or uh, mass battle ancients or medieval games. We're trying to build that up. Um, typical armies, uh, so Anglo-Saxons. Saxons. I've played about every Viking faction. Um, uh, Anthony has been trying to get those Norse scales to work, and he's still working on it. He's doing better. Normans, Mutts, Spanish, Scots, Welsh, my Anglo Danes. Um, what else? Uh, Gauls. I think uh, Scott or yeah, Scott can play Gauls, uh, and there's a few others that we could do. Um, I'm still limited a little bit because I'm still I'm breaking back into this whole hobby thing. So I, I only have one guaranteed faction right now. 
Okay. Yes. Uh, Anthony was talking about running the Norse scales in this tournament. And at the last minute, he's like, oh, I'm going to go with the Normans. I'm a little more comfortable with them. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, well, that's cool. So we're, we've got lots of Viking armies too, in our Columbus group. Um, I would say the, the, the standard one, uh, I would say just kind of like we had at the tournament, half the armies that show up on any given, uh, game day are going to be age of Viking armies. And then you have a scatter of the other ones. I think we ended up at the tournament with, um, two, maybe three uh, of Age of Hannibal armies, uh, maybe two Age of Invasions and three to four um, Crusades and the remaining one of the 24 were all Age of Vikings. So yeah, it's kind of, seems fairly similar. Now, how often do you, guys, do you get up to game with the Fort Wayne group who all of them managed to not be able to come because of a last minute case of COVID that made the rounds amongst all of them? Uh, do you see them very often? So I was supposed to go with Scott one time, but um, I had missed two of my daughter's soccer games on a Saturday, and I couldn't <laughs> miss another. Um, I'm in the National Guard. I do serve full-time for the National Guard, but I still have to drill. And so one weekend a month is automatically eliminated. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have to, you know, I have to pick my – I do pick my family over other things because they're important. Yeah. Um, so I was supposed to go with him once, and he's gone a second time. Um, so I, I think total uh, Scott's gone twice. I want to go. Uh, I know that they were talking about potentially having a tournament in February. Yeah. Um, but I think that might have gotten sidelined to October of 23. So I I, I don't know. I want to go up there definitely um, to meet those guys, play, roll some dice against them, and unleash some Anglo-Dane fury. Right, yeah. Like you did on the, uh, the community at uh, Springfield. That was... That was pretty impressive Anglo-Dane Fury there. What about your Anglo-Danes? How long have you been playing them? I know you said that's one of your one of your few armies you have uh, before you entered in the, the Saga tournament. Have you been playing for about a year and a half now, or how does it look? So, yeah, when I when I first uh, kind of pinned the tail on Saga in regards to what skirmish, Dark Age, medieval period game I wanted to play, um, I looked at Anglo-Saxons and I was reading uh, some of Bernard Cornwell's books. Oh yeah. Those are great. <laughs> I, I've read oh. the whole series. <laughs> oh, by far my favorite author. And uh, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll be the Anglo-Saxons. And then I looked at, and I was, I was reading, I was like, Oh, they're a levy army. And I was like, I just got flashbacks of painting hordes of Imperial guard. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> and uh, so I looked at the other Anglo army and Anglo Danes and I was like, well, they're kind of more of an elite army. They can do, you know, they're, they're, they can be mixed. I want to try them out. And, you know, I, I started building uh, towards them and, uh, you know, I probably have like 12 points of Anglo Saxon, Anglo Dane figures I could do mm -hmm. if I really needed to. Um, but uh, I then, you know, yeah, I've been playing for about a year and a half since October, or hmm, been playing uh, Anglo Dane since October of twenty one. That was my first game I played. It was a uh, against another gentleman around here that's never played Saga, so that was a very interesting time. Sure. Um, and then obviously I competed in the Adepticon tournament in March of twenty two as my kind of like first real outing with them. And uh, boy, did I learn a lot! Uh -huh. Holy cow! So I have not been to an Adepticon. Um, Kind of run down the differences between, say, you know, what we what we did uh, the other weekend, last weekend at uh, 
advance the colors and what you know what you what the experience was at Adepticon. Adepticon, you know, I would definitely call it like the mecca of North American tabletop wargaming. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is it is huge. Um, I mean, coming off of COVID, it was not as big as what um, I've read about or heard about in the past. But like, there there were tons of people, tons of people there. Like, you had an entire convention center of just nothing but war- tabletop wargamers, and then you had a second one for even more tabletop wargamers. So like, it, it was huge. Um, and then comparing directly the Saga tournaments, so. The I think the exact same amount twenty four people oh, wow. participated in the Age of Viking uh, melee on Sunday at Adepticon, and it was just all Age of Vikings for that. But you know they have and they they Raj puts on the Age of Magic tournament. Um, I think that was day one, and then they did an Age of Vikings doubles on day two, day three, which is Saturday was Age of Melee, so it was everything. And I think they had just converted that from Age of Crusades because there weren't getting as many people um and that was the age of the age of melee was the first tournament i'd ever participated in my entire life Mm -hmm. and um and then sunday was age of vikings and wasn't it like 16 or so for the uh age of melee the day before because i think uh jim randall who you played in uh uh your second round i think it was uh went up and participated in that one i believe so it was not as much but it was still quite a bit i i think they had eight eight or nine tables, something like that. Okay. Um, and a ringer on just in case. Right. Yeah. Uh, luckily the ringer didn't have to play, uh, the other weekend. That was me, the ringer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. It was, it was amazingly smooth tournament to run. I mean, I got maybe over the course of three games, 10 people raised their hand and said, Hey, got a question for you. I mean, I was expecting way more than that. So you didn't play in the doubles thing then? On Friday, no, I was uh, my my uh, two buddies that um, I play Rangers of Shatterdeep. They went up with me, and so we we could only commit to leaving Friday night. Oh, okay, uh, walking around a little bit, and then Saturday and Sunday. Um, so I I participated in both tournaments on Saturday and Sunday while um, they kind of perused and watched me and 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 uh, heckled me and then also uh, uh one of my buddies took one of the paint classes that they have at adepticon oh okay so not to like you know play down anything from your your victory that we're going to talk about here in a second uh do you remember how you did uh in the uh the two tournaments so in the age of melee i went two and one that's uh, good first game it, it, <laughs> my dice were hot uh, you'll see a common theme which i have no idea why Sounds like you had a very successful Adepticon too. I mean, unless you're unless you're holding off telling me about an zero and three on the next uh, the, the tournament on Sunday or something. <laughs> uh, the Age of Vikings tournament, I was zero two and one. Oh, okay, <laughs> but still, I, I, really, your first two tournaments, uh, you went what uh, two, three and one? Is that what it would be totaled totaled up to? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really good. I mean that. Uh, that's impressive. Um, Thank you. All, all right, so um, let's let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about this uh, fierce Anglo Dane force that uh, terrorized the community here at uh, at our Springfield convention. Uh, what's your current build as you play the Anglo Danes now? And maybe also talk about the evolution of your list over the year you've been playing them uh, to the current one. 
Yeah, certainly. So I would say when I started building them, I didn't know, really know how to play them. Um, I knew that they liked Hearthguard and they, the board doesn't support levy really. So like anything beyond one point of levy is, is a bad move to take with the Anglo Danes. Um, and to be honest, uh, Raj, um, from Saga Thursday had Nick Mahalis on to talk about Anglo Danes and that spurred everything for me. Um, he said that they like to be aggressively defensive and they want to get in your face and take a hit, but they're going to hit you harder right back because you just use all your saga abilities. And guess what? It's now my turn to roll all my saga dice and you have nothing left. So I'm going to take you out. Um, and with that, I kind of like, okay, well, I need a hammer. I need cannon fodder and I need the ability to reach you. And so with that, I really have two lists that I will run, and it kind of depends on who I'm facing. So if I'm facing another uh, elite type of army, army like Yom's Viking, I'll take three points of Hearthguard. I'll do one eight-man and one four-man. My four-man has uh, heavy weapons. My eight-man has uh, no special equipment. I'll take two warriors, uh, two points of warriors and regular eight-man units, and I'll take one point of levy. Um, obviously, my warlord is uh, heavy weapon. So I use that. Um, my eight man is my hammer. My four man is if I if I want to be aggressive with my warlord, I can. If I want to use him as a potential berserker esque unit, I can. Um, and then my warriors, my warriors are cannon fodder. My my warriors' intent is to attack you and give you fatigue, so that when my hearthguard comes in, I can use two or potentially three fatigue with your negative one and take and really hurt you bad and potentially take a saga dice away in one turn. Uh, my levy are just meant to pick you off in the event that you also have range. So I, I don't invest a ton in levy, um, but I know that they're needed. So that's kind of if I want to be, have a regressive warlord against another uh, elite type faction. If I'm facing anything else, I take two points of hearthguard and a one eight man unit, and that's my hammer. I take three points of warriors and one point of levy. If I'm allowed to take mercenaries, um, I toyed around with uh, taking Angry Monks and Breton Cavalry, as you know, we you and I had emailed back and forth, and I decided on Golgadel, and I'm not going to lie, the first time I played Golgadel was against Lowell in the game one <laughs> at the ATC Saga Tournament, and I was floored with their ability to just destroy. Um, and so if, if I get to take a mercenary unit, I'll take the Golgadel every time. Uh, because they have, they are a net zero gain because they have free activations mm -hmm. until they are exhausted or if someone cancels an activation uh, per the FAQ, um, and they get twelve attacks on chart or sixteen attacks on chart, which right, is ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Um, that's my list if I'm facing anything else. <clears throat> um, if I, now, I will say, if I am facing someone that I want to have an aggressive warlord, I will take three points of hearthguard, um, and I'll probably stick with two points of warriors. And So it, it, it's situational on the faction, kind of, but those are really the two lists that I play with. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, the, especially the, the first one that you call versus the elite, that's definitely a very kind of standard list. Two warriors, three hearthguard, one levy. Um Definitely seems like it has a lot of flexibility going to it. Um, so how much did you get a chance to practice with uh, with your Anglo-Danes, uh, especially the planned scenarios? 
uh, how much you get a chance to practice the Taylor challenges and the uh, Wrath of the Gods. So when I learned that you were going to have Wrath of the Gods be a, a game, I went out and I found the tournament packet <laughs> from uh, from overseas, and I printed it out. I said, "All right, guys, we're playing. We're playing this." Mm -hmm. And so Scott, Anthony, and I, and uh, Sylvan, one of our other gentlemen that plays, um, he we all played that, and so we got one rep at playing Wrath of the Gods, which I thought it was a great game to play. Like it basically it meant to, all right, we're going to have a, a beat down in the middle. Right. Um, and then we played Tale of Challenges three times, I believe, in preparation for that. And, that, and Tale of Challenges is by far the toughest one to prepare for because, in my opinion, it is so situational on what challenges you pick based off of who you're playing and who you're playing. It, it, it can go so many ways. And I did not pick the best challenges for my game. I did come out on top. But, um, yeah, so I helped Scott try and figure out what to pick. And I helped Anthony help what to pick. And I tried different things. And I tried to, like, you know, okay, do I pick, uh, if he wants to kill my warlord, do I want to survive? But wait, I lose a saga dice. Uh, I don't know. So we just tried that out. Right. <clears throat> and so I, three games preparing for that. And then Tale of Warlords, uh, didn't do any Tale of War or uh, Clash of Warlords games, um, but I, that's one of the easier ones to prepare for, obviously. Yeah, I think everybody's got a lot of experience with that. I mean, whether you've had any experience against the army you're going to be facing, you know, in a particular in round three, you know, that's that's kind of a crapshoot. I agree with you on the uh, definitely on the Wrath of the Gods. I really like that one. I, I, I like how people are forced to go out there and fight. I mean, really, honestly. You could probably get away with turtling, I guess, if you wanted to, and just say, okay, I've got lots of levy. You know, you get four turns or five turns or whatever of getting three casualties on me. You're gonna get you're gonna get a unit of levy out of it or whatever. I'm okay. I could see somebody doing it, but I don't think that's gonna be anybody's gut reaction. I think they're gonna want to go out there and contest them, and it's gonna end up be, end up being a fight. And as you as I as I kind of told people and you probably saw, I really wanted games that we're going to be using one massacre points. All three of the all three of the scenarios use massacre points, um, and two that it forced people to fight, force people to get get out there and do stuff. Um, and so I was really happy that it turned out. And I'll tell you what, I, I agree with you on tail of challenges. I was really expecting some people to come up and say I scored forty five points or whatever. But I think the highest of the twelve games that were played. There were two people that barely got in the 30s, or one barely got in, one was in like the mid-30s. Everybody else was in the 20s, which is relatively low if you're thinking about it uh, for a, a victory in a massacre point game. So Yeah, 100%. The first, when I at Adepticon, when I played that Tale of Challenges, I think I had like 29 points against the Militus Christi. And I mean, I achieved both of my challenges, and I was like, holy cow, what? I don't even know what to do here. And then this time, I did not achieve either challenge. Oh, I was, <laughs> was going to ask you about that, you know, because I noticed your score was, you know, one, another one of the people that were in the 20s. But uh, really, and for the listeners who, who didn't play in my tournament, um, I've seen and I've run tournaments where you have a separate tournament points, you know, scale thing going on. A lot of people like to give a bonus point for killing the warlord uh, and stuff like that. And so many points for a win, so many points for a draw and everything. But 
what I decided that obviously win loss is going to be the first determinant. You know, the three zero victory. Three people were three and zero at the end. You are the top tier. Then the two and ones or the two zero and ones actually above them. Um, but I think that the whole getting an extra point for the warband armies that can actually assassinate a warlord. Um, it's it's kind of a some of them can do it, some can't. Like for example, the as I call it, the cheesiest army in the books, the pagan peoples are great at assassinating warlords. They teleport all over the board, and no matter where you put your warlord, they can come out of can come out of the the terrain with a hearthguard unit and a bunch of hearthguard activations, and they get him. You know, so I just I just don't really want to reward that. I want to reward somebody who you know targets the enemy army and you know defeats the enemy army and routes them off the table so to speak to me that's you know that's the nutshell of a general is to is to beat the opposing army which is probably also why i hate uh, scenarios like uh claiming territory where you, know, you could lose your entire army but as long as you racked up enough points you know throughout the course of the game you win the game somehow so <laughs> i know there are people out there who love claiming territory and it's almost a running joke now that you know mike hates claiming territory uh, but, uh, yeah, I was, so I set out in this tournament, you know, for those who you know, weren't playing in it, um, there would be no separate tournament points, you know, scorecard. It was win loss and your scenario points and the scenario points were all masker points based. You know, you had everything based off of that tail of challenges, obviously would augment your, your masker points by, you know, your failed or completed challenges. So, um, and I was really happy how it turned out. Completely shocked that you somehow, you and uh, Daniel tied, you know, did exactly 76 points. And, uh, but oh well, that's, I guess that's, that's the way it goes. When I, when I go, you know, when, when you go into some of the battle battles, you'll see how I possibly could have gotten those points that I needed to win. Right. But, you know, hindsight's always 20 20. It is. It and, is. And it's a victory, uh, though. I mean, you, you are, you know, champion. So, just that there's another champion too, so. and that is that is perfectly fine. I thought it was awesome to be honest. Good. I, I didn't. I didn't. It didn't seem like either one of you were upset by that. I mean, literally, I could have gone back and counted your points against, but then everybody had been sitting around watching me twiddle my thumbs and do that. Uh, and I don't know if that was really valid. I didn't come out and tell you guys that was going to be part of it. Um, you might have played differently if if you knew that. Um, and I certainly didn't want to just do a roll of the die for declaring a winner versus a second place. I figured we'll do the roll of the die for who gets to choose which prize they want first, but <laughs> that's where we'll go with that. No, yeah, it, I, I thought you handled it very well, Mike, and uh, I, I mean, I know uh, Daniel was, was happy and, and giddy about winning as well, so I, we're both good, man. Good, that's good to hear. All right, so let's uh, let's go straight down to uh, the tournament then. So I think it'd be fun to hear a rundown of your three victories in the tournament. Uh, as we said, our first scenario is Tale of Challenges, where we all feel it's a fairly, no pun intended, challenging uh, scenario to play. You know, for those who may not be 100% sure, it's where you pick out two to four feats you're going to accomplish over the course of the game. Those you don't succeed on become negative points. Um, now, can you maybe walk the listeners through which challenges you chose in this one, who your opponent was, and how the game went? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I played Lowell from 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 your group, 
he was playing as the Anglo-Saxons, and um, he ended up being player one. I was player two. Now, we all know the disadvantages or advantages of that, of that combo. Um, hopefully, uh, you'll see later on that I'm debunking those disadvantages or advantages. So, he chose You Will Die, which means Kill My Warlord. Um, then I chose You Will Die as well, because I was like, okay, well... If you're wanting to kill my warlord, I'm going to want to kill your warlord, which means to me, you're going to be reserved with your warlord, and he is not going to be an offensive warlord. Um, then he chose, I will protect my land, which is no four, no units of four more figures with an L plus M of your table edge. And then I chose, I will sack your home. He passed, and then I passed. Um, hindsight. I will never, as a foot slugger army, select <laughs> I will sack your home uh, because I had to have three non-mercenary units of four or more with an M of his table edge. That is meant for like the Normans, the Welsh, right? Um, the any of the Crusader armies. armies. Yes. Nope. Never again. Bad decision. I should have chosen first blood. That would have that would have got me the points to win everything. That's my hindsight right there. So, <clears throat> Lowell had. Um, Four units of 12 warriors as the Anglo-Saxons. I had never seen anyone take that before with Anglo-Saxons. I, You know, at Adepticon, I saw, like, all levy builds. Right. Uh, Scott takes a combo of levy, and then he takes two points of hearth guard. I'd never seen all warriors because the Anglo-Saxons have that ability to turn their levy into warriors. And I was like, well, why would you ever take warriors? And it's in their activate, their basic uh, saga abilities are all based off of unit size, not unit type. So I was like, eh, I mean, okay. Lowell, you obviously like to play this. That's fine. And so I was, you know, calculating that. I took my uh, two points of Hearthguard and an eight-man unit, two eight-man warriors, Galgato, and one point of levy. He kind of deployed in a straight line. I, with the hill in the center, I tried to divide his force to make basically, okay, you're either going to have to choose which unit comes at me first or you're going to have to split your uh, command or split your faction to come at me from two directions. I prefer, uh, what is it, to try and split the enemy while keeping my strength together mm-hmm. as a tactic. And so I was able to achieve that portion in, um, in how we set up. I set up on the left side of the board. He set up in the middle, and he had to go around or canalize uh, with his other other guys. So turn one, you know, he does maneuvers, you know, all that. Three saga dice. No one loves that. Um, I uh, got my full complement of thought. Six Saga Dice, my bad. Um, got a rare. I believe I probably used Noble Lineage, which I, you know, we'll go in on that later. But mm-hmm. um, used a rare on Intimidation, which uh, gives the ability that, you know, the first two units activated. Next, once I activate the ability, gain a fatigue as a rare. If it was a uncommon, it would just be the first unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just queued it up to where, you know, I'd move. I, I believe I maneuvered forward. Um and just prepared for his turn to offensive turn, which it was. I knew, I knew. Okay, you know, by the time I move forward, he's going to have an offensive turn. So I need to move forward and prepare for that. And so, in turn two, you know, he, you know, he had a good saga dice roll. You know, he moved forward and he he charged with uh, one of his twelve man warrior units on one of my warrior units. He took it down to four figures. Didn't get rid of the saga dice. They bounced back. Um, I think I only took a few of his out, but you know, my warriors are cannon fodder. 
and then the other one he just moved his other guys forward to get he was just outside of charge range so he couldn't and i think he just moved with you know within like an inch of my hearth guard my eight man hearth guard um and so that kind of ended his turn and there was nothing else that happened and then so i shot i did a double shot with my levy um because i you know i will i will accept fatigue because if i'm coming at you with fatigue i know you have fatigue because i'm putting it on you so I, you know, with my levy, I always double shoot if I can. And so I took out maybe four figures, five figures, and one of his warrior units to get him down to, you know, a reasonable number, not 12. Um, and then I ended up charging with my hearth guard, had a few uh, defensive abilities like shield wall, like rocks, um, queued up so that I can hit him with 16 dice and on four pluses. And if, since I, you know, had deter intimidation, I believe I also played exhaustion in turn two, um, I use his, his, uh, fatigue to lower him, his armor down. So I, you know, was, got a great role against the unit that was right in front of my hearth guard. And I believe I, you know, just destroyed him. And I took no casualties with my hearth guard on that one because of shield wall and like rocks. Right. I was a little concerned that his unit that was coming around the hill behind me that, that I made him split up with was going to get my warlord, but he was like three activations away. And I was like, ah, he ain't going to do one of the downfalls is I forgot to activate my Golgator first. So they sat there, again, not doing anything. Um, or sat there in turn two, not doing anything because I didn't activate them first. And that was a huge tactical mistake on my point because I needed them to get them in the fight. Turn three, see, he only lost one Sagadite. And it was still a very close match at this point. Um, to be honest, the dice gods were in my favor in regards <laughs> to our roles. Um, you know, he, he had good tactics. He did. Um, I, you know, I just prepared for what was coming. You know, I, I always try and keep one or two defensive abilities on my saga board for the other player's turn so that I can minimize my losses, um, to prepare for a hit back. Um, and so he rolled, you know, I was able to save enough figures that I didn't lose any saga dice and still have an effective fighting unit. And then my Golgato came in and just wiped and turned, uh, Turn three, when I was able to go, just wiped out one of his warrior units completely. Um, I think they took a majority losses and had like three figures left, but the Golgadal did their did what they're supposed to do, which is delete a Saga die, mm -hmm. um, which then caused a fatigue bomb, and it kind of kind of created a cascade effect um, for Lull at that point because you know once you start building even more fatigue that I'm not placing on you through advanced Saga abilities, like it 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 adds up. And I'm doing intimidation. I do intimidation almost every turn if I can. Um, so that makes, you know, he then had to figure out, okay, which units am I going to sacrifice to give them a fatigue? Or am I going to activate them to rest to do a no fatigue gain? You know? Right. So it makes them have to figure out how they're going to reuse their saga dice. And ultimately, I just, I, <clears throat> after, after turn three, I just systematically ground them down. I ended up eliminating... Uh, his all of his warriors, every single one, all four units, wow. and it, and his warlord just backed away. Um, I tried uh, turn five, at, nah, yeah, turn five and turn six to no, just turn five to move as many people as I could forward just with regular activations. But I was like, I'm gonna have to like quadruple activate people, and I can't do that. Um, so I'm not gonna get my uh, challenge. Right. Ultimately, the <clears throat> the game ended 28 to 12. Um, I got 28, Lowell got 12. And after, you know, you subtract everything, it was 20 to 2. Um, neither of us had achieved our challenges uh, during that game. So you, you had both yours subtracted then. Wow, okay. Yep. Wow. 
So, but you still were still were in the pack. I mean, it was still 20, uh, 20 was the standard score. So that's really surprising that you were able to, on one turn to use two of the, both of those defensive abilities, shield wall and like rocks, because they're really expensive. They're, they're those double dice ones. Uh, so you had like four dice queued up just for defense. Yeah, I so yes, um, my activation pool and my noble lineage uh, extend the life of my saga die beyond any other faction. And so, I mean, you could ask Scott or Anthony, ask Jim the ridiculousness of noble lineage and activation pool against me, and he will confirm. Ask Joe. <laughs> yeah, I was I'm, able to extend my saga dice ridiculous amounts. I watched uh, I watched you do it once in your game against Joe, and we were, I was going to ask you about that here after we were done with the games. But yeah, it is. It's something I had never considered before. So I guess we'll save that for for the uh, nuts and bolts of the battle board discussion. But uh, hey, you're one and zero. You are moving on to the second one. Um, but uh, as far as that first game, what was the key? You think was it the fact that um, you were able to kill that one unit and do the fatigue bomb, or the fact that he had? You know, warriors and wasn't able to use the kind of the heart of his battle board. What 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 was the key to your victory? You think? Uh, I I would say, um, throwing fatigue on him. Mm-hmm. Like that was it's really kind of what the Bangle Danes want to do is throw fatigue. And if you can do anything to to augment that, it just unless you are the Vikings or a few other battle boards that can strip fatigue off, like it it is debilitating. So. My use of intimidation and exhaustion just were, I, I feel those were the keys against him with how few units he had. Um, if he had if he had all Levy, I think it would have been a very different fight, and I would have had to approach it very differently because Levy, Levy warriors are horrible to fight against for uh, elite factions because they're just uh, punching bags that can yeah. get hit, and they don't lose their dice forever, and you could lose one figure, or you could lose three figures against a Levy warrior unit with your hearth guard you're like well i have one guy left he's not combat effective anymore right yeah and i i was you know i, I kind of surprised he does he doesn't use the levy on that but uh they they are effective that way there was three anglo-saxon armies in that tournament that was the most of any any faction i think there was three anglo-saxon three viking and three yams viking and the anglo-saxons are not slouches by any means. oh no like, they are under not. under a good commander they are highly effective and they're like yeah you can kill me but i'm gonna keep coming at you <laughs> yep yeah adrian was uh, all the way to the final round with his uh, his anglo-saxons and then daniel was able to knock him off um all right so let's go to that second round the second round was one created by joe of the northern tempest saga podcast called wrath of the gods uh and so i made up a bunch of uh a bunch of pagan altars or various types of altars and uh and then when I thought we were going to have 30 players, I made up even more of them. Um, and so uh, so you guys got to see those on there. And now I got them forever. But uh, anyway, players are fighting for control of uh, three pagan idols scattered across the center of the table. Uh, and you were facing one of our top saga players, Jim Randall, uh, in his last Romans. Uh, how did you approach that game? How, what were you thinking going into that game? So I'm not going to lie. When I heard I was facing last Romans, I about freaked out internally because <laughs> they are such a shooting faction. I was like, oh, my God. Um, Terry Donner. I played against Terry Donner in the Age of Vikings tournament in my third round. Great, great guy to play against. Um, great, uh, great sportsman. And 
he just shot the crap out of me. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, is this going to happen again? Um, and lo and behold, I get there and Jim's like, what are you bringing? I'm like, this is what I'm bringing. And he goes, I'm bringing melee. And I'm like, oh, you are? <laughs> I was like, giddy. Yeah. It's like, you want to fight? You want to you get into, into combat with me? Okay, let's do this. Like, let's roll some dice. And, uh, and so that kind of just changed. He's Jim bringing in his list. He did definitely kind of put me at ease, but I was very, very scared to play against the last Romans with their ability to shoot. He took mounted warlord, one point of mounted heart guards, two points of Varangians. Uh, he took vagrant warriors, bow warriors, and then he split up his levy jav, which gave him eight saga dice. So I was like, okay, well, you, you got eight Saga Dice. Well, this will be interesting. And, I, you know, I've read about the Vagrant Warriors. I had to reread the rule on the Varingians. to so like, okay, just one unit. Doesn't mean you can't have eight men in the unit. Okay, got it. Cool. Um, and so I was like, okay, this will be a fun game. <clears throat> you know, we both deploy. I was player one this time. Jim was player two. Um so I've been player one actually quite a bit. And as player one, one of my key tactics is maneuver defensive, period. I, I will not, I won't retreat from you, but I'm going to maneuver to where you have to either double activate to charge me or you have to double activate to shoot me with javelins. If you've got bows or slings or, you know, uh, Manu Ballista or you know, you're the Normans or whatever. You're gonna shoot me. Okay, cool. You got that. But I'm not gonna give you a free jab attack. I'm not gonna give you a free charge. Um and if you do somehow get that because, you know, you uh you're aggressive, I'll at least have one saga ability able to le- help weather the blow. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah I maneuvered my one of my warrior units over to the first idol that was on my side the closest one i then maneuvered everyone forward just enough um and made sure i did my galgato first <clears throat> i learned first game i definitely learned my lesson on that one um and so then you know that was the end of that turn i think i had i had intimidation with a rare because for some reason i rolled a ridiculous amount of rares this tournament and then uh, I think I had, might have been, might have been, I had like an uncommon and then a common, and I decided to put a combat bonus just to, as a just in case to add a defense dice. Determination I did because that's kind of like a good go to ability in the event I get in melee. I can do either three attack or three defense, and if they have fatigue, I get one additional attack or defense of my choice. So it's, it was, all right, this is a, a oh crap moment ability. Um, and intimidation just makes him have to choose who he's going to give fatigue to first. Right. Um, and so then he activated and he did, uh, what is it? Indirect fire mm-hmm. on my gall gate twi- or once. And he took out, uh, like three of them or four, like it almost eliminated the saga die. Um, and, and like, I started to get worried just in turn one, like, Oh God, here, here, here it goes again. He's shooting. Here comes the, the shooting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was against my Gall Gadel, and I'm, you know, probably internally, I was freaking out, just like, because, you know, I'm getting shot and reliving this moment again. But 
kind of the Golgadel and the eight man hearth guard, I have two hammers. Right. So I kind of like, I calmed down. I was like, okay, I got two hammers here. That's why I brought the Golgadel so that they have to choose which hammer they're going after. Um, Cause you can't go after both of my hammers. It, 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 it is harder to do that. Um, so he did, you know, he moved all of his guys forward as well with maneuvers. Cause turn one, you're still able to do all that. Um, and so then it came into my turn. I still had all my saga dice, um, rolled those, had intimidation rare again. I knew I was just advancing because I wasn't. I didn't want to double activate against him to get into a charge. So I queued up some defensive abilities that I was saving for his turn while I was advancing on him. Um, double shot with my levy against his Varingians. Um, I think I eliminated three figures out of that double shot, so that was a good. Took him down from eight to five. Wow, yeah, that so is that's good. That's good. Um, and my hearth guard were. I got them within charge range for turn three against his warrior bows. Um, my Golgadel, I moved them within charge range. My warriors, I was just trying. I had one your warrior unit. I was really maneuvering forward, and so I just I moved them forward as well. Um, Jim, he did indirect fire again because he had his levy in front of his bow warriors, mm-hmm. and. At that point, I had contested the middle ground, so there, no one was getting anything from that one, and we only had one. He ended up shooting uh, my Golgadel, and he eliminated only one figure that time. Um, and his Javelin then fired on my Hearthguard, I believe. And if Jim wants to correct it, that's fine. Like, I, you know, it's been a little bit now. I've slept since then. I, you know, had to deal with kids, all that fun stuff. Um, so I could probably miss, maybe missing a little bit. At the end of turn two, you know, I, you know, I felt... I was in a very poor place because he'd started to eliminate my, my Golgadel. I lost a Saga die. So I was like, okay, what can I do with three Golgadel? Nothing. All right. He's now going to turn his attention onto my hearth guard. And you know, I'm obviously losing dice or losing figures from wrath of gods at this point. And so in he and his vagrant warriors and his Varangians are advancing on my levy. I'm like, they're not going to survive that. And so turn three, I was down to five Saga Dice. He had, I wrote down seven, but I think he had all eight at this point. I, I may have eliminated a Saga Dice with his, actually, yeah, because he had to get rid of one figure and he got rid of uh, his one of the figures from his six-man levy, so that took away a Saga Dice. So I hadn't even taken a one away yet. And so I rolled it, and I rolled three rares. <laughs> I... Jim threw his hands up in the air. My mouth was like, what just happened? I had to go get Scott. And Scott was like, this is normal. DJ <laughs> does this. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Ah. And uh, and so I ended up getting all eight Saga Dice that turn from three rares. And I played Intimidation. Um, I had Shield Wall, Like Rocks, Determination. Um, I believe I did Noble Lineage to try and get fewer commons to have... Because I generally like one, maybe two commons, mm-hmm. and if I have more than that, I, you know, I'll, I'll try and use noble lineage to get something else, because it's a zero net loss, and I'll go into that later. But um, I was queued up, ready to give a hit mm-hmm. this turn, and I did. I activated my Golgadel against his levies, his levy that were in the middle objective, killed him, caused a fatigue bomb on his warriors. I did not take any losses with my Golgadel. I then wow. charged his warriors with my Golgadel. I eliminated all but three figures. My Golgadel, I blew, they did not die that. So he bounced. I then charged my Golgadel 
tried to get his warlord, and he made me go against his Varengians. And I think I took out like three of the Varengians, or not Varengians, his vagrant warriors with my with three Galgadel. It was ridiculous. Um, he did not cancel a activation, and at that point they were they died against the vagrants, which is okay. They they did what they were supposed to do. So I then activated my hearth guard to eliminate his um, bow warriors, and my hearth guard at that point had the middle objective. Um, I moved my other warriors up to be prepared to take a charge against his vagrant or Varengians. And then I moved my warlord up because I was like, okay, I've lost my other hammer. I need to potentially play aggressive with my warlord. So at that point, he went from eight Sagadice down to four Sagadice. Or no, seven Sagadice down to four Sagadice in one turn. And I was, at that point, I was like, this game has completely turned when I was completely freaked out. Didn't think I was going to win this one because he, he'd been doing everything right. Um, I, the dice were hot. The dice gods blessed me. I wonder if that was when I was, uh, I was listening in and I heard him say, you are so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that might've been the first or second time. Cause there's one other instance <laughs> that this happens. Um, and so turn three, he, uh, he moved his Varengians forward to get within charge distance. Um, he kind of he kind of did a little check on himself because he just lost three Saga Ice. Whenever anything like that happens, you're like, oh, crap. Um, like, everything goes out the window at that point. I, he, like, recocked is mm-hmm. what, you know, in the army we'll call it. Like, all right, let's recock, guys. Let's do it again. Um, and so turn four, I was like, okay, you're going to you're going to recock. I'm just going to keep coming at you. Like, I don't care if I have fatigue, like you have fatigue too. It's going to, it doesn't matter at that point. You use my fatigue. I use your fatigue. Um, and so I just kept going at him. And at that point I didn't, I didn't let go of the gas. I just, I just kept going. I was rolling hot. He, when I faced his, uh, hearth guard against my, I think I had seven at that point. He had, he hit a majority of his, I think it was like uh, seven out of eight hits. I hit seven of my 14 at the time. I saved six out of seven. He saved nothing and lost his oh, entire heart. Oh, good gosh. Much. That is I a mean, big he, swing. He's, he had saves because he did uh, a, a defensive ability that gave him defense dice. But after, you know, you subtract, okay, I need to save X amount to be able to say he didn't save that. And so he lost his entire heart guard unit. Wow. Um and I only lost one figure. And that was, I think that's when you are so lucky because I yeah. saved literally almost everything. <laughs> um, and what I've learned is once you go below six hearth guard, your hearth guard are almost not effective. If you're trying to really eliminate a unit in one combat. Right. Which is what I like to do with them. Um, and so that took another saga die away from him. I still hadn't, I hadn't lost any at that point. Um, Turn five, turn six. So I, at that point, I then turned my hearth guard over to go after his vagrant warriors and my warriors as well. I think my warriors went after them and ended up eliminating them. It was costly. I didn't lose a saga die, but I ended up taking out those vagrant warriors. And then as Varengians, I ended up having to use my hearth guard to go after them. And I went down to, uh, I believe, five because of my defensive abilities. It just helped them stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to use my defensive abilities to not have to close ranks if I'm charged or, you know, vice versa per se. So that I can roll, you know, let's say if I have six, I have 12 dice. 
if I can get your armor lowered down to a four, like that, that's a 50-50 shot. I can get six, and you only have six left. That's rolling fives is tough. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I might be taking your guys out. Um, and so I ended up eliminating his Varingians, and he then just had his Warlord and his little levy unit back that was holding the last objective. And that kind of, you know, at the end of the game, and it, and it was a tough game because Jim and I were like, I could see he was very strategic in how he was doing everything, um, but you know he 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 applauded me for making all the right decisions and having the hot dice. So like, it it was a good game, and to be honest, if I had just ro- been rolling average, it probably would have been even closer. Mm-hmm. It it would not have been the uh, what was it? It was like thirty one to seventeen, maybe. I'd mm-hmm. have to go back and look at it, something like that. But it would have been a lot closer because he was a tough opponent. Oh yeah, he's definitely definitely very skilled. Him and uh, him and Bob Boggs play an awful lot, uh, and Joe too, who you played in, or um, yeah, you played in your third round. They kind of get together on a weekly basis, in addition to our other, you know, get-togethers. So they're they're very experienced, and um, I definitely I think I've played Jim three times actually. Three times I played Jim three times. He's beat me two of the three, so he is a He's definitely a, a good good opponent. All right, well, we're on to the final match. Uh, it was against Joe Deerkop, uh, who was fielding his Ordenstadt. I don't know if this is the first time he played them or one of the first times he played them, but uh, um, he just finished painting them up. Um, so here you are. You're facing the Age of Crusades, Ordenstadt. Not a common army. Probably most people haven't got a chance to play against them. What was your battle plan for, for facing these guys? So, because I've never faced them, read their battle board, anything, I was like, okay, I just gotta, I gotta play my game. <laughs> um, I gotta be aggressively defensive. I gotta advance. I gotta, you know, extend my dice with noble lineage and activation pool, and I gotta weather whatever storm they're gonna try and throw at me, and then use their no advanced saga ability board to then deal a crushing blow. That was that's what I said I had to do. I just had to do what I do well because I don't know this board, I don't know the faction, and <clears throat> Joe ended up taking two and a half points of hearth guard, one four man cavalry, one six man uh, foot. I don't remember if he had heavy weapons or not. Uh, he took one and a half points of crossbow warriors and two points of levy javelin. I think that adds all up. Um, I kept my same list. Warlord Heavy Weapon, 8-Man Hearthguard, 2 8-Man Warriors, Galgato, 1 point of levy. I ended up being player 1, Joe was player 2. We actually tied on the die roll three times to see who <laughs> the player 1 player one was. Um, and so, turn 1, I maneuvered, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to be just outside of charge range. You know, I'm going to have a, you know, I think I had one defensive ability queued up. I didn't have a great die roll, and I can't do noble lineage or activation pool or anything. So I, I think I had intimidation with the uncommon and shield wall, and I think that was it. Um, and so maneuvered, just got people in, in, ready to go. And next thing I know, Joe, you know, rolls his, his dice. He gets. I think I, he got a very good roll. And next thing I know, he's literally all the way on my side of the table <laughs> charging me in turn one. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I've never seen this before. And they have a ability that gives them, you know, 
free activation, no, no fatigue. I can't remember what it's called. And literally he charged me turn one with his, uh, foot warriors, um, and against my levy only took out five of the 12. So I kept my saga die and I was like, okay, that's what's important at this point. I used, ended up using shield wall. I think he had one fatigue coming in. So I, you know, I used that because I was like, I have to try and preserve a saga die from hearth six man hearth guard against a 12 man levy, uh, levy slinger. So I ended up preserving it. Um, I had to bounce cause obviously I lost more. I think I took out one of his fig. No. Yeah. One of his figures. Um, and then his javelins fired at my Golgadal, took out one figure. They fired at uh, a warrior unit. I think they took out one, maybe two figures. And I was like, holy cow, what just happened? <laughs> I've never played this faction before, and they just literally, a foot faction really, ran across the board and punched me in the mouth. Like, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, I had all six of my Saga Dai, and so I rolled back. And, you know, extending my Saga Dai out, I... I got, I think it did seven Saga Dice that time. Activated my Golgadal. And so Saga abilities, I had Determination, Unforgiving, Shield Wall. So it's one, two, three, four. I think I had a Warrior, maybe a Hearthguard activation. I put a double. I activated uh, my Levy Bows with Determination, I believe. Um, so my Golgadal, they charged the Levies. They killed all but two figures. Um, I took one loss. No, I took no losses because he did not have a good roll. I remember that. And so they gained one fatigue. I then charged his hearth guard and I killed his entire hearth guard. Oh my goodness. Yep. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, I think I had, I think I had five. No, I had six seven figures at that point. So I ended up eliminating his hearth guard, but he took like one or two of my gall cadle. Um, but at that point they were exhausted, so I couldn't do anything else with them. And so then because I, you know, I had enough activations and advanced saga abilities at that point after, you know, eliminating two saga dice, I then was like, okay, I'm going to attack my warriors against your levy javelin. I didn't get rid of a saga die, but I think I took out three figures and he took out like two, something like that. And then I charged my eight-pack hearth guard into them, and I killed it completely. And so, and I took no losses because I saved my defensive abilities for my hearth guard, which is who I need to preserve my strength with. So I took out three saga dice in turn one. Wow. Um, and in total foot slogger fashion, turn two was uh, very uneventful because um, I'm still advancing while his other guys are in the back. And he's shooting me. You know, I take a few few losses here and there. Nothing major. Um, it's I may, I took took out three Saga dice, but he still had enough hitting power, and I had lost enough to where, like, a five-man warrior unit isn't really effective. Uh, my Golgadal are dead at this point, because uh, I'm 99% sure he has shot them. Uh, so I really have one warrior, like to use. I have one warrior, my hearthguard, my warlord, and that's really all I have to use. My my levy are in the back, and at this point they become a dice battery, and I'm like, I gotta just make sure they survive um, to give me a die. And so I just basically maneuvered forward with three units at this point against his three remaining units. But I was, you know, what is it? One, two, three, four. I had five saga dice supporting three units, and I was able to extend those out with. Uh, activation pool of mobile lineage. Right. Um, so, 
turn two, you know, not very eventful. No Saga Knights eliminated. It's kind of, we were maneuvering around. I lost a few figures. He had not lost any. Uh, turn three and four. Um, so at this point, that's where I was able to get into contact with his warrior crossbows. And I use my warrior unit first because my, my tactic is, okay, I'm going to charge in with my warriors to try and eliminate a few and give you a fatigue. I'm then going to charge in with my hearth guard to kill you. And that ended up happening. Um, I think I took him down to two figures, took away that saga dice. So then all he had was two figures of levy javelin hanging off on the side. Um, no, those were gone. He had two figures of the, of the crossbow warriors, his hearth guard and his warlord left at this point. Um, I was down to a six man hearth guard and my warriors were like five. You know, not, not super effective, but they're able to be cannon fodder if need be. Um, and so at this point, you know, going into turn five, he charges his hearth guard against my hearth guard, and I eliminate one, he eliminates none. Uh, and so he goes from a four-man to a three-man. Um, I had a few advanced saga abilities queued up. His warlord was still hanging back because he had to preserve that uh, hitting power just in case. And... So I chased him in turn five, eliminated those last two warriors, uh, warrior crossbow, and I was trying to chase him down. Um, he did have a chance to eliminate my warlord who was uh, exhausted, um, but I mean, a warlord is even exhausted is still dangerous to charge with three-man hearth guard. So in turn six, <clears throat> you know, I rest my warlord to you know, get rid of his fatigue. Like, I cannot lose my Warlord because that gives you too many saga or right, too many yeah, massacre points. Too many points. I charge his Hearthguard, who are who are within range of my Hearthguard. He didn't move him back far enough. Wait, wait, wait. No, I just move them forward, move my Hearthguard forward. Um, and I have some defensive abilities queued up because I know what he's going to do. I'm like, okay, he's going to charge to try and take out my Hearthguard to get the massacre points. He charges with his hearth guard with a basic activation he ends up bouncing neither of us we both roll garbage garbage um so he ends up bouncing neither of us kill anything so defender bounces or not defender the uh, attacker bounces right. he then charges with his warlord neither of us or i take no losses he takes two fatigues oh <laughs> so he gosh. bounces <laughs> and then he uses determination to charge with his hearth guard and this is the, like the final turn and he ends up not killing anything again and so it was just like i was like how did i literally survive three charges with my hearth guard um combination in that uh he the dice gods were not in his favor but i also wasn't rolling well with just regular d6s either um and ultimately you know i ended up winning that game uh, i think it was like 25 to 18 i think i had to go back and look um but it was a tough game and playing against Ordenstadt. He, he didn't really eliminate any of his figures. Um, and he had me on the heels in turn one, which I had never seen by any faction. Hmm. Have to keep an eye out for that one. I've never faced him yet either. Um, so I probably will at some point now that Joe's built them. But, uh, huh. So the key to that one sounds like his failed charges where he would go in and kill nothing. You know, a couple t couple turns he did that. What do you think? What 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 made you up? that you know crucial kind of eight points or so i i think what put me above was 
seriously turn one. Like he he was very aggressive, and it it was a high risk, high reward uh, play, and he played it, and it he did not get the outcome that he probably was wanting. Yeah, didn't and, get the payout. Yep, and so I I I made him pay for it. I think that at that point it was like he was playing with uh, three saga dice. And I mean, it's it's hard if you do not have anything to extend your saga dies other than activation pool, or give you you know basic activation or advanced saga activation abilities, multi activations. It's it's tough to do anything with three saga dies. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely late game. You know, I don't have a whole lot I can do stage. Uh, you know, when you're down to three saga dies. You know, like I said, we're going to talk about here in a second. Your the way you're able to extend your saga dice, as you call it, with activation pool. That's going to be a key to your success and also as i look at your board maybe that makes some of these abilities actually usable because normally you look at a, a board that has three you know requiring two saga dice abilities you're like oh my gosh was there a point in uh, one of these battles you may have already covered it and if, if so you can just say that um was there a point when you're like uh-oh this might not go well in any of your three battles you're thinking i'm dead this is not gonna this is gonna be you know a loss for me and i'm out of the running so, yeah, I think turn two against Lowell, I was nervous, um, but I, I ended up having very, very good Saga Die rolls, tactics, and was able to repel him. Um, but just, I had a concern. Jim, I felt when he, like, took away my Saga Dice with my Galgato and was eliminating figures, I was like, this, I'm not going to survive. I, there's no way. And then all of a sudden, I roll three rares and <laughs> with five Saga Dice, and I was like... Oh, life was breathed in breathed into me and i was like okay here we go baby let's let's do this take it and run um, and then after turn one against joe i was i that that just put me on my heels and i didn't know how to think i was yeah. like what just happened like i've never seen anyone do that before like it, it it's almost akin to what i've heard of the mongols or the welsh being able to do with like i'm gonna come across the board i'm gonna hit you in turn one Right. Yeah, the Mongols could definitely do that. I can, having played the Mongols, I, I can tell you, they can do that. They can reach out and touch you. <laughs> and so I was just like, you're a foot faction. You just charged me on turn one, and you took one fatigue. What just happened? Like, it, it was wild. And so that it, it just threw me off. But, I mean, through, I call it attrition. Like, you know, war of attrition, right? Like, I'm here to grind you down. I'm going to mm -hmm. grind you down. I'm going to wear you out. And you're going to try and throw as much as you can at me, and I'm going to take it. And guess what? I'm coming right back after you. Hmm. It does seem, just from your description of your games, that, that definitely seems like the uh, the um, the way your army plays. is it, it, you know, it takes their hits. It gives back punches that are harder than their hits. And in the long run, you, you end up causing more casualties to the enemy. In this tournament, terrain was preset. Um, how do you feel about the terrain your Anglo-Danes had to fight on, the three different boards I gave you? And uh, don't worry, I won't, you know, feel free to criticize, and I, I won't be offended if you didn't like the, the terrain setup. So from a, a, a TO standpoint, makes sense. You know, I'm practical. I, I will apply common sense wherever I can. And yeah, I probably if I you know if I decide to run a tournament, I may end up doing preset terrain because it's just simple. You know exactly how much terrain you need, and you might have a little bit of grumbling, but you're not going to hear the guy that wants to play uh, rocky ground. And oh, I didn't have enough rocky ground. I'm sorry. Um, 
conversation. So right. I get it. Like I don't I don't fault you on that. Now my my uh, part of my strategy is so contingent on terrain and who I'm facing that I was I was uh, probably maybe probably stressing out a little bit too much for a game about how I was gonna approach preset terrain as a foot slugger faction against uh, let's say the Mongols or the Sassanids or the Moors or any any of the or the Normans or the Welsh like what am I gonna do like they're just mm-hmm. gonna destroy me because it's probably not going to be as condensed as I want it to be. Um, but to be honest, like I felt the way you set it up was just about right. To be honest, like it was, it, I was able to use the terrain just enough to either divide their force or force them to come around something or um, canalize them, which is part of what I try to do when I set up. Okay. Well, it's good to hear uh, for the listeners and maybe, you know, other people didn't realize I, the way I did that. I basically set what I considered a relatively heavy board, a medium board, and a light board. And, you know, for, you know, so I think it was the first, very first uh, tale of challenges was the heavy board. Then I think the, um, the um, Wrath of the Gods was the light board, and then the medium board was the, uh, the uh, Clash of Warlords. Um, and I actually sent off my, I made a little map, and I sent it off to like, you know, three or four really experienced uh, British saga players. And I said, look these over, give me any input uh, on it. And, you know, just to, just to make sure I wasn't missing something that, you know, it was, it would be really bad. And, and uh, I, I kind of, I feel like a tournament organizer that's using preset terrain kind of owes that to his players to try to make it as fair for as many different armies as possible. So there was some, there was a little bit of research that went into that and the, and then a whole lot of construction. I mean, I, I had 15 pieces of each type available there that I built over this entire spring and summer and fall. Um, so I've got lots of terrain now. <laughs> yeah, and you did a good job from what I could tell. And now I probably had some uh, good matchups for each of the terrain, uh, level of terrain. Um, so I, like, I thought it was good. I don't know how some of the uh, mounted factions or some of the other uh, players might have felt, but I, I felt it was fine, um, and you definitely, I felt, made a balanced board. Okay, that's what I was shooting for, so I'm glad to hear that uh, that you felt that. Um, so let's say that you're not playing in one of my tournaments, and you're just sitting down across from Scott or from Anthony, um, and you're taking your Anglo-Danes. Um, how do you approach a typical game of Saga? Uh, where you get to choose a terrain. Do you have a plan you go for? Uh, I know a lot of it's dependent on who your opponent is, but uh, what do you try to do? So I like to put a gigantic piece of terrain in the middle. Okay. That's um, generally one of my go-tos, and the reason being is it forces you to go left or right, period. And if you're the person that divides your force, you're potentially taking some of your figure, your units out of the fight for one or two rounds, which is crucial. Um, so I try and divide the board. That's my always my first steps. You know, whether it's a steep hill, um, unless I'm facing Irish, <laughs> uh, then I'll do a hill. They can. I don't do full like terrain denial. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's extremely situational, and I don't. That's not like a regular game. Um, but you know, large woods or a hill, or 
uh, a field, a large field. I do some sort of large piece of terrain close to the middle. Mm -hmm. um, they'll place a piece of terrain. Generally, they'll want to do something for their levee, uh, or they may place a woods, you know, to the left of it, something like that. Depending on what they do, if they don't, if they just choose something as a kind of a defensive position, I will then uh, place a piece of terrain down to try and canalize them, um, depending on the faction. So, like when um, let's say Anthony's playing his Normans. All right, I want to canalize you because you have cavalry, and I want you to only be able to come at me with one unit at a time. And so I try and make it to where they can only squeeze one cavalry unit in there, or they make it extremely tight to where if I take out a unit, I'm going to fatigue bomb you. Like, so I try and condense them, condense the units or factions that don't like to be condensed, and force them to come at me systematically when they want to use chaos to confuse me. Um, and that's mainly against like uh, any mounted faction. Period. Mm -hmm. I want to canalize them. If I'm facing a foot faction, I want to divide them. Um, so that's kind of how I look at that. Um, I like to place at least four pieces of terrain generally every game because it, it, especially against mounted factions, as a foot slogger faction, it is crucial to slow the enemy down and to have them only come at you one unit at a time rather than send all their, like the Welsh, do all these activations to move, shoot with jab, and then run away. Or mm -hmm. the same thing with Sassanids, same thing with Mongols. Like, avoid that at all costs by making them only do one unit at a time. So that's, that's kind of how I approach terrain. Okay. Um, with, like, uh, Wrath of the Gods or objective-based I will at times place a like a field or rocky ground or ruins for my levy to shoot out of so mm -hmm. that I can preserve their combat power to you know keep shooting. But that's that's situational in my opinion and it's not something I go to every time. Okay. All right. Makes sense. That's definitely uh, it's interesting that uh, you have an actual set plan to to try to keep the cavalry from swarming you uh, as a as a foot army. So um, okay, so let's say you've placed all the terrain, everything. Um, you may have given us clues to this earlier with your recount of your battles, but um, all things being equal, what are you setting out to do with your Anglo-Danish army? What do you? What do you? What's your plan? I think you you talked about charging in with your warriors, and then you know whether they win the battle or somebody or you know they they bounce off, then you follow up with your hearth guard. Uh, what else is a big a big part of your your tactics? Yeah, so you know, say I'm player one, I always you know. Player one, player two, first turn, I use maneuvers to preserve my saga dice for what's coming the next turn. Because even if you are player two, that per, that your opponent is going to have their full complement of saga dice and starting at turn two, and they're going to want to hit you because you probably just did something to them. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep coming at you, and I'm going to take your hits. And you're probably, you know, I, a lot of the people I've faced had, like, burn all of their advanced saga abilities in their offensive phase in their turn. And so I'm like, okay, well, I have a clear board and you have a clear board. This is not good for you. And so I use that to my advantage. And I kind of, it's a game, as Monty and Raj have said, it's a game within the game. And I, I pay attention and play that game within the game so much. Um, I will load up what people think is an unridiculous, a ridiculous amount of saga, advanced saga abilities. And then next thing you know, I only do like two or three of them. And I might take one saga dice out, but then I survive your hit. And then I hit you even harder and I might take two saga dice out. 
Right. Um, and I'm going to keep coming at you. Like I, I don't care if I have one or two fatigue on my hearth guard or my warriors, because I, with, you know, using intimidation, exhaustion, unforgiving, doing these charges, I know you're going to have the fatigue too. And so if we both have two fatigue, it's an even fight in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I use that to my advantage to just keep coming at them and keep, keep them on their heels. Per right. Se. Keep up the pressure. So we've, we've alluded to it a couple times earlier, but uh, can you tell the listeners what you do with noble lineage? Now I played Anglo Danes a long time ago and I always used it. It's, you can use any dice. It's in the orders phase and allows you to turn one of your inactive saga dice. Uh, ones you rolled to show a face of your choice um, or reroll as many of your inactive saga dice. Those are the ones you've already rolled, but haven't placed on your board yet. Um, you did, uh, every time I used it, I used it to get a rare. It's like, let's say I haven't rolled a rare and I really wanted one for intimidation or I had one already. I need that second one for exhaustion to play on the enemy. Uh, can you tell people what you do with it instead? Yeah. So there's two, two reasons I will use noble lineage and I don't use it every turn. Um, the first one, if I get no rares and let's say, let's say I'm rolling five saga dice, I get two uncommons and three commons. I will then say, okay, well, I can use one common to turn any of my dice into a rare. I will then turn one of my commons into a rare. I will then roll activation pool, which means I get both saga dice back. And so no matter what, I'm getting what I have. So I'm not, I'm not losing anything. I'm just trying to get something better. And it's, it's a gamble. 100% is a gamble, but you're, it is a, it is a, zero loss gamble means I will never have anything worse than what I have now. Um, I could, I can only have something better. And so I do that. Um, the other time is if let's say I have a rare and a lot of commons, I will play the rare on noble lineage and I will roll as many commons as I want. Or I will turn, let's say, let's say I have three uncommon or three commons, uh, uncommon and a rare. Right, or two uncommons in a rare. I'll play the rare on Noble Lineage. I will then turn one of my dice, one of my commons into a rare, so then I gain my rare back. I will then turn the other one, I will re-roll the other two commons to see what I get. And if I get a rare, then I automatically put that into activation pool to try and roll two more dice to gain an extra die. And then that that is really the extent of how I use noble lineage. I, I try and look at it as, okay, I need to approach this because it is a gamble. I need to approach it to where I'm going, no matter how I approach it, I'm not going to lose anything. I'm only going to stay the same or gain. And so that that's how I like to use it. I don't like to, I'm not a big fan of using it to turn, to give me two rares for an ability because how I, because the board is so dice hungry, you're losing a dice to gain whatever face you want when the objective is to get as many dice as you can to play advanced saga abilities. Right. And that's the thing. I never really thought about taking that rare, you know, putting a comment on there, taking it, putting it up there as a rare and putting it in the activation pool. It just never dawned on me because, and I was always thinking, well, it sucks that I got to play two dice to get a rare. Um, but there you go. I mean, you, you're getting that dice back. Like you said, or I hadn't even thought of it. Matter of fact, it, was, it wasn't until tonight that I remember there was even the or section where if you play a rare on there, uh, you can re-roll um, all your inactive dice. So let's say you got four commons. You know, you can play 
you, know, you can re-roll all those four again. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, we've all played games of Saga where you don't get that many rares. There's like two turns in there. Well, this is essentially giving you another turn, really, if you think about it, to roll, to roll those rares. Yeah, so I was really impressed by that tactic, and I had never seen any Anglo-Danish players use that tactic. Maybe it's just me, maybe not seeing the army that much, but uh, I thought that was genius to, to, uh, to as you say, extend your saga dice. So I, I, I can't take credit for that tactic um, because I 100% learned it from Nick Mahalis on Saga Thor's Day, Anglo-Dane's uh, faction review, and... Um, you know, when when I play Scott and Anthony, they're like, "Oh, here here he goes again! Here he goes again!" <laughs> yeah, here comes. <laughs> I the, just laugh. Here comes the uh, the the. Oh, I wrote. Here's my two dice. I rolled another rare. Okay, I'm going to take it on a- activation pool. Oh, I rolled another rare. Another one on activation pool. Look, I've got a lay to my dice, and I really only rolled four to begin with. <laughs> yep, that has happened way more times than I would ever care to admit. <laughs> um, and uh, you know to. The, my benefit like it, it it helps me every time and, oh yeah uh, and it can frustrate you know my opponents every every time it frustrates them because like i only have five this isn't fair how do i do this like right I exactly you, i can't count the number of times where i was sitting there finally knocked the opponent down to three saga dice and suddenly he goes on that run and he has uh he has eight it is, it is a powerful the anglo and i think raj called it really well it's like a Anglo Dane voodoo mat voodoo saga dice of magic. <laughs> it's the best way to call it. I don't know what else to call it, but they they have the ability to extend their extend the life of their saga dice yep. very well. Anything that's particular about this Anglo Danish army, listeners should know about. A lot of people will turtle with the Anglo Danes, and and that is that is one hundred percent not the way to play them. Like they they want to grind their opponent down. So like. You want to advance with basic saga abilities, and then you want to have something queued up after your advance. So, like, you know, sometimes if I feel like you're going to charge me and I may not get the right dice, let's say I get two uncommons, I'll play Unforgiving and Determination, which means, you know, Unforgiving, this is a good combo. If you only have two dice, like, left to place after some activations, Unforgiving grants a fatigue or gives a fatigue to a unit in melee, but you can't use their fatigue anymore. And then Determination means you get three saga dice or three attack or defense dice or a mix of the two do what you ever you want and then for every fatigue you gain an additional attack or defense dice so like i i've survived a berserker charge on my eight man hearth guard played light or shield wall and like rocks and rolled well yes but if you play those two you should survive at the cost um, of four saga dice of course it should be yes. should be noted yeah Yes, it is. It is expensive, but it's you know if you're just moving forward and you have those abilities queued up, I like to play them individually, unless a situation, a dire situation arises. Um, intimidation is one of the most important things to play on the board as Anglo Danes because you you have a long way to go as a foot slugger army to get to your opponent. And so you need to place fatigue on them because you're probably going to take a, if if you want to close with the enemy, you're going to get a fatigue on because you're going to have to double activate at some point. And so you want to go in there at even or potentially they have more fatigue than you. Um, and so that there are some very good synergies on this board, but none of them are turtly. They're all aggressive and they're, they, you want to be in melee. You want to be hit. You want to hit. And 
They don't generate a lot of attack dice, which is unfortunate, and it's a dice-hungry board, but you can extend your dice with extend your saga dice with noble lineage and activation pool. What do you enjoy most about playing these guys? What do you what do you like most about them? Because they they're your main army, the the one you've been playing the most. So any game I've played, I've always I always like to take underdogs and prove that they can win. <laughs> um, whether you know playing video games doesn't matter. I like to take the underdog and prove people wrong that they are actually powerful. Uh, I didn't know that they were the underdog going into picking this faction. I liked the thematics behind them. I liked some of their abilities, but then I learned that they are an underdog. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of personal mission. Okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to get very good at these guys. I'm going to show that they can win. And I I ended up doing that to my my own amazement. I didn't think I would do as well as I did, but I did. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, you you proved it. You were the only Anglo-Dane army out of the 24 and uh, you were you were champion, so co-champion so excellent congratulations on that thank you quick little thing you saw the blurb on the age of alexander book anything in there catching your eye uh i've always been intrigued by antiquity um i love the the greek era has always been one of my favorites but to be honest like i i want to do a indian army Mm -hmm. um but you know i my other two armies in the queue are spanish and Romano British slash late or Romans for an age of invasion. So it's now, you know, years down the road to eventually get to an age of Alexander faction. Okay. So it's not coming up soon. So the next thing in the queue is, is the Spanish then the medieval Spanish. I have, I have a Patreon with uh, reconquer designs. And so I've been uh, using, getting those STLs and having them printed out. Um, and, and those amazing sculpts that that artist does. And, um, so I'm doing a huge horse army, which is the complete opposite of the Anglo-Danes. But they have a lot of fun fatigue uh, abilities that I get to be a little familiar with still. Yeah, so uh, that's actually the next Saga army I'll be painting too. Uh, I bought the Gripping Beast Feudal Spanish box. Um, and I intend to paint them up and play them as three different factions. All gonna, they can either be the actual medieval Spanish or they can be <laughs> the Militis Christi as a Knights of Santiago or the Knights of Calatrava, um, or they can just be straight up crusaders, you know, crusading against the Moors. So, um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a versatile army, kind of like your Anglo Danes are fairly versatile too, actually. Well, that sounds great. Uh, well, it was great to meet you. I'm really glad you guys made the trip over from, uh, you know, Indianapolis, right? You guys are in the Indianapolis area. Yeah. I, uh, I live on the Southeast side and Scott and Anthony live, live on the North side of Indy. Okay. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys, and I appreciate you coming out. Um, we do have another tournament scheduled for before the end of the year. Uh, it's Shore Wars Convention uh, being run by Shield Wall Gaming Club, Mentor, Ohio, which is the Cleveland area. Um, I just recently made a change on that. I'm going to make it just a straight-up saga tournament, uh, Age of Malie. Um, so I was trying going to do a kind of doubles-ish thing, but I just think that that was probably a little too... A little too ambitious with uh, only like six weeks out on it. So um, hopefully you guys can make it over for that. I don't know if uh, how far of a drive that is for you guys, though. Uh, I think that'll be a little bit of a trek. And I, I, I believe I will be occupied that weekend. Okay. The Army will own my life. Um, but I, I'm not sure about Scott or Anthony, to be honest. Okay. Uh, they, uh, 
I know they had said that they wanted to try a few other games. Anthony's still got the saga bug. I would continue to play, but um, I'm taking a little bit of a break because we were we definitely went uh, hard in the paint on preparing for this tournament. Okay, well, it paid off. It definitely paid off. So, um, all right. Well, thanks for taking so much time tonight to to uh, talk thoroughly about your victories. Uh, once again, congratulations. And uh, I haven't said it yet, but uh, thank you for our ser- your service to our country. I appreciate that. Thank you for your support, Mike, and thanks for having me on. This was uh, this was an honor, and um, hopefully, you know, uh, podcast continues to grow within the Saga community, and the Saga as a game continues to grow because this is, in my opinion, one of the best tabletop skirmish games that uh, is not extremely expensive. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I think that uh, I think we're de- on a definite upswing. So, well, have a good rest of your evening, and uh, hope to see you again at another uh, tournament or another convention here. Yep. Thanks, Mike. All right, we'll see you. <laughs>